got a copy of the scriptures, would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2, you could Google that real quick, 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, and it'll pop up on your phone, and um, that's where we're going to be today, this morning. Now, just a couple, as you're turning there, a couple of administrative things that I'll just add to what Laura had to say. Um, one is that we're so excited that Jordan is back, able to lead worship with us again, so give him a round of applause. Yeah. Uh, as, as many of you know, he developed tinnitus in his ear, actually working on some of the Sedaris online music early on in the pandemic, and um, you know, we never understand God's plans, why he sidelines people, but uh, Jordan is now back. It's been, what, five or six months, and, and it's so good to have you back leading us in worship, so... So glad, brother. And um, I'd also like to just say that uh, next week will be a virtual-only service, so we're going to just kind of ease into this, phase into this indoor, in-person worship option, and we're going to do that because um, we think that's the smart thing to do, so that we have time to evaluate and see. Uh, We'll be sending all those of you that are here a follow-up email just in, in probably in like a week and a half and just see how you're feeling and and, um, and ask, how can we do this even more safely, and should we keep doing it? And so next week, we'll take a week off just to give us extra time to analyze and, and improve how we do this. So I apologize if I'm going to be touching my mask a lot. It seems to be coming up. I think that's a thing. So uh, we are in Second Timothy chapter 2. So uh, let me just pray again. We need lots of prayer. So let's pray again this morning and ask God to open up our time of teaching. Father, we need you now. We need your spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, fill this room, fill the living rooms, the kitchens, the cars, anywhere. People are tuning in right now to the teaching of your word, God. We know that you not only inspired these words, but you also inspire our interpretation and understanding of these words through your spirit. So we need your spirit, God, and we ask that you'd come, that we might understand what you have brought us here today to hear, why we're listening to this message, this talk. What what are you trying to say to us, God? Only you know that, and so we ask that you would reveal that to us by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So, what are we up to here? We are in a series that we are calling Build Up. And um, we're doing this series right now at this time in human history because more than ever we are divided. We are polarizing the gap in between. I said it's like a middle school dance. Uh, People are as far to the walls as, as we can get. And of course, in the next few weeks, Um, our country is going to be going through an election. I don't know if you heard about that, but that's actually going to be happening, and that could make things worse. So um, how do we be people that build up? Because actually God, again and again and again and again, through his word, says, hey, don't be people that tear down, be people that build up. Now, how do we do that? What are the prerequisites we need to do that? How do we actually do that in reality? So that's what we are looking at uh, over the next Several weeks, we've been looking at that for five weeks, and today uh, is no different. Um, Let me just give you a recap. We started by saying building up always begins with the gospel, also known as the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where we start. We must continually, um, as the people of God, absorb ourselves in the gospel, 
understanding what God has done for us if we want to be people that build up. So we start there. We talked about, uh, we, we, we shared with you our new senior leadership team. We said God puts church, church, local churches together in structures and he provides leaders. So leadership is a way that God builds up individuals and the community. Then we talked about love and we said there's a specific type of love. Four Greek words for love in the Bible. Unfortunately, we only have one word in <laughs> English, but agape love, one of those Greek words, is the type of love that truly builds up. It's a, it's a, it's a self-sacrificing it's a giving away. It's a gifting unconditionally. That's the kind of love that builds up. That's the kind of love God gives us. And when we give that, we actually build people up. So, talked about that. We talked about if you really want to be somebody that builds up and not tears down, you must refrain from judgmentalism. We talked about using your tongue and your words rightly, whether that's spoken, acoustic blasts, or whether it's written, typed, tweeted, etc., and then we talked about words of correction. So it's not only speaking words of encouragement, words of praise, words of life, but you also must speak words of correction because some people go down paths that they need somebody lovingly, not, not out of self-serving, but out of love for the other to say, hey, listen, don't keep going that way. There's better life over here. If you go that way, it's not going to end well. So you need words of correction, and the people in your life that do that are really people that are about building you up, pruning away those parts of your life that don't lead, ultimately, to good. They might be things that lead to temporary good, but we're talking about eternal good. We're talking about long-term life, and that's, that's what the people of God are called to do. If you're not yet a Christian, we're so glad that you've come or that you're watching online because that's one of the reasons we exist as a church is to help people consider what the Word of God teaches, what Christianity is all about. And, and oftentimes, to be honest, people don't know what Christianity is all about. There's lots of bad examples of Christianity throughout the world and in our country, and lots of times things get attached to Christianity that aren't actually Christianity. So you might be saying, like, most Christians I know tear down more than anyone, polarize more than anyone. Well, that's not because they're following the way of Jesus or the words of Jesus. It's because they're following some other way or ideology or word. And so uh, I hope if you're not yet a Christian, as you consider these things, what you'd realize is that, man, Jesus is appealing. <laughs> Jesus is somebody I might want to follow. I might have some problems sifting through who's truly a Christian, who's, who's not a Christian, but the Jesus way does seem to be a way that leads and builds to life. So, I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us, that you might be hearing this online from around the world, and uh, hopefully you find something in it that draws you closer to Jesus, because he's ultimately the one that brings life. He is what quenches our thirst. He is the one that brings resurrection of anything and everything in our life, both now and forevermore. So, it is about finding Jesus. So as we talk about these building up, um, these elements to building up, today I want to just pause and talk about a, how do I say it? Um, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a prerequisite for actually participating in the act of building up. This is not necessarily one of the ways that you build up. It's just something that if you don't do this and you look at your life, you'll realize I don't do much building up. And actually, it came to me this week, I was at a virtual pastor's conference, and there's this guy named Ray Ortland, who is um, probably in his 60s, 
And for some reason, God continues to use this man in my life at key moments. He'll just like pop up at a conference I'm at. (laughs) And it's happened multiple times when I need a word from the Lord. And so that happened again to me this week. I didn't even know he was going to be at this pastor's conference. I was just tuning in. I didn't even watch the whole thing. That's the problem with virtual conferences, right? Nobody watches the whole thing. They click it off. They cook some scrambled eggs, things like this. And, but I happened to be tuning in actually in this moment, and he popped on the screen and said, there he is again, that guy. God keeps using that guy to bring me back to life, to build me up. And I said, i got to share a little bit of what God brought to me with y'all. And so that's what I'll do. I'll share with you what was inspired in me by Ray Ortland in his looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. So i got to just... I hope God gives you those people in your life. I know he does to me, like, in those key moments. In 2013, when I was still on the fence about starting a church, Ray Ortland, at a a church planter's boot camp I went to, he just wrecked me. And God used him to say, yep, this is what I want you to do. Again, in 2017, God brought him out to Seattle for a pastor's conference. Boom, Ray Ortland. Again, just this week. Feeling down, feeling low. God used him to redirect me to life. And so I hope you have those people. Perhaps this, this moment, this morning, is one of those opportunities where God uses somebody. Maybe my words, maybe, maybe the band's singing, maybe, maybe a word after the service that just brings you life and builds you up. So here's the big question we're looking at today, or at least that leads us into what we're looking at today. Here's the question. You ready? When you zoom out, when you zoom out, and you try just to look objectively at your life, okay, when you zoom out and look objectively at your life, do you see yourself doing a lot of building up, like we've been talking about over the five weeks? Like, if you can just zoom out and look from 30,000 feet, and you just say, honestly, do I do a lot of building up? Do I do a lot of building up? Am I building up people around me? Am I building up brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I building up the church of Jesus? Am I building the kingdom things of God? Am I building? Like, can you just look and ask that really hard question? And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty or I just I just want I want us to be honest because we can we've six weeks now into this series. And then the question is like, yes, yes, yes. But but have I been building? No, no one likes. Well, some people like it. They're, they're strange people, but no one likes the kind of feedback that's evaluation like, you know, one out of 10. How am I doing in my job? Those that's always prickly. We tend to like appreciation, those, that type of feedback. We like the feedback of a raise or a promotion. But sometimes we need to do evaluation feedback. Like, are we actually building up? Now, now, it's not just, are we not tearing down? That's not the same as building up. Let me say that again, because I think that's so important. Just not tearing down is, is not equivalent to building up. Do you see that? Not not just being people being worse off 
for knowing you, right? But actually being better off for knowing you. Let me say that again. Not just people aren't worse off for knowing you, they're actually better off for knowing you. So I think, I think lots of times we say, am I building up? We say, well, I'm not tearing down, or people aren't worse off for knowing me, but are, is the world better <laughs> because you're here? Are you actually building up? Okay. Now, now many of you, because I know you, the answer is yes. Laura Merlay, God is using her in tremendous ways to build many, many people up. So when I hear about the way God is using her, I'm always, I'm always challenged. It's like, God doesn't use me that way. Okay, so there are many people here watching online that God is using to build people, other people up, kingdom up, church up. But all of us need to ask that question. Are we actually building up? And so the church, listen, the church has... For all, all of the history of the church, 2,000 years, and particularly, and, and, and we see it now, it's sort of the target of criticism. And it's so easy for us to say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. What does the church actually do? How does the church actually build up? I only see the church tearing down. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you. You cannot read this book without realizing the church is not me. The church is not this physical building. The church is not Sedaris, the organization. The church, according to the word of God, is you. Each and every one of you. You are the church. That's what the church is. You are the church. And so the question is, if somebody says, yeah, what is, what is the church actually done? Or, or maybe the world would be better if the church wasn't around. That's not a critique of something else. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a critique of you. So each and every one of us has to own are we building up? And if each and every Christian who claims to be a follower of Jesus actually did this evaluation and then did what I'm about to talk to today, the precursor, the prerequisite needed to be used by God to build up, then actually the reputation of the church might change. People might say, yeah, actually, I think the church is building up. I don't think the church is tearing down. I think the church is actually one of the only sort of it's a mystical group of people that are actually doing something. But the church is not me. I'm a part of the church. But I'm not the church. We are the church. That's what the scriptures tell us. So are we building up? Are we building up? Do you build up? If not, why? If you say yes, why not more? Why not more? Great question. Thanks for asking. I'm going to try to answer that with 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If y'all could see my facial expressions right now, I'm really jazzed up, okay? So <laughs> let me just tell you, it's there. I'm trying to do it with my hands. I'm trying to give you my best pastor hands. I'm trying to give you, I'm trying my best, okay? So just know, underneath this mask, this is gold, <laughs> okay? I don't know what's coming out. But it's gold underneath. So just trust me on that one. Here we go. I'm going to read for us 2 Timothy 2, and we're just looking at two verses today. Two verses today. Here we go. Ready? 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's the big two in your Bible. Verse 20. That's the little 20. Here's what it says. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, 
but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel or she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now let me try to explain this. I'm going to just work through this phrase by phrase. What's he say? Now in a great house. What are we talking about here? Size, yes, and importance. This is an important house. Just like that house at the end of the edge of the town. It's a great house. It's a big house. It's an important house. Think of uh, Downton Abbey. Think of Downton Abbey. It's a great house. It's a noble house. And here's the metaphor. This great house is God's house. And what is God's house? The scriptures tell us it is the church, big C church. Not just this particular church, but the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul, the author of 2 Timothy, he's writing, Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, who is one of his apprentices. He's trying to tell Timothy, listen, you need to be about building up. This is one of the things you need to understand. God's house is a great house. It is a great house, and it's great because God is great. Therefore, his house is great. Therefore, the church is great because he said that his house is the church. So to be a Christian is therefore to be dignified, to be a part of something special and important and grand because God is special, important, and grand. So that's the first thing I just want you to hear. If you don't feel very dignified, you are. If you're not acting dignified, start acting dignified. You are part of a great house, the house of God. But Paul says this, in this house... Now, you got, you got to get into this metaphor with me. In this, this house, this house, Paul's saying, now think about a great house. Think about Downton Abbey. Think, think about down in the basement in the kitchen. Now, some of y'all are like, I don't watch Downton Abbey. Some of y'all need to get on the boat. This is a great show. Doesn't matter if you're male or female, Downton Abbey is a great show. BBC makes great television. Listen, you need to get on the boat. Downton Abbey is a great show. So don't say, Dave, stop using these analogies. I don't know. That's your fault, not mine. Everybody watches Downton Abbey, okay? So watch the show. It's a great house. And in the basement of the house, this is where the servants live. This is where the kitchen is. Picture this house. Paul's saying, in a great house, there's all kinds of vessels. That's instruments, tools, utensils. There's a couple kinds. There's those that are like gold and silver. And then there are those, those that are wood and clay. Some are honorable, some are used for dishonorable. Here's what he's talking about. Listen, think about it in a great house. I mean, think about the golden goblets, the silver spoons, the crystal glasses. Think about this. The silk napkins, all the things that are used um, for honorable use. When the master of the house throws a party and he invites people over for dinner, there are some things that get to be used in those Noble, great moments. And then there are other things that you'll find down in the kitchen, in the storage closet. Things like made out of wood and clay. And they, they get used for other types of things. 
And really what he's talking about here is things like taking out the garbage or removing the excrement, removing that. Do I need to use different words? Okay. There's also those kind of vessels. You need both. And what Paul's saying is in the church of Jesus Christ, there are both kinds of people. Those that God gets to use for his noble tasks, but there are those hanging out in the church of God who are not doing honorable things. They're doing dishonorable. And Paul's saying, anyone can be gold and silver vessels. Anyone can be used for the honorable things that happen in the house. Anyone. Anyone. But you have to make a choice. So imagine this great dinner party. The master has decided to throw. So he comes down into the basement. He says, I got to get, get my best stuff. I got to bring it out. I'm throwing a great dinner. And um, I got to get my best stuff. And so, you know, if, if you're a Downton Abbey fan, just picture uh, Lord Grantham walking down into the basement and he's, and he's looking about and he's trying to find the utensils, the vessels that he wants to use in this grand, honorable dinner party. And he's looking through the cupboards and he's looking through the cabinets. He said, let's pick this, let's do this, let's use this. And he's looking for something. And Paul's saying, anybody can be worthy of being selected for that. Anybody. But, he'll say, you have to be ready. You have to be ready. Look at verse 21 with me again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be, she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. Now, just pause for a second. Some of you might be thinking, well, the whole point of Downton Abbey is to show that there's this class structure and we need to break down the class structure. And, um, but I love Mr. Carson. Mr. Carson is the butler. And he loves his job. He loves his job. He shows up and he works his job and it brings him great joy to serve the master of the house. Think, think about the classic philosophical tale, The Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Think about this. Be our guest. Be our guest. You know this song? I have a five-year-old. I watch, been quarantine. I've watched a lot of children's movies. I'll have another one later in the sermon. Stay tuned. Don't tune out. Be our guest. Be our guest. This is a moment in Beauty and the Beast where, <laughs> how do you explain Beauty and the Beast quickly? Well, all the servants have turned into utensils, <laughs> vessels, candlesticks, clocks, things like this. And when Belle, the beauty, comes into the great house, this is a great house, this is once a great house. Obviously, the beast has, has made a mess of things, but they are so excited to do what? to serve in this great house. So I think one of the things that we do need to get over, particularly as American Christians, is this idea that serving is somehow below us. 
We are servants, simple vessels, instruments, tools used in the great house of God. That's who and what we are. And we should be like Pierre, the great candlestick. And we should be excited to serve in the master's house. But again, will we be ready to be crystal, silver, gold? Or have we attached ourselves to dishonorable things that make us, therefore, not ready to be used by the master? That's what Paul is saying. The Lord Jesus Christ has democratized usefulness. It's a beautiful thing. He said anyone can be gold and silver. Anyone can be used by the master of the house for honorable and noble ends. If you are ready, the master can and will. Did you see that in the text? You will be a vessel for honorable use. You will be set apart as holy. You will be used for God's great purposes. You will be. He's democratized usefulness. You don't need to be noble. You don't need to come from a particular class. You don't need to have the right stuff or the right education. You just need to be ready. And the master says, I'll use you in my great house. So imagine him. He's going through. He's looking for who is ready. Who is ready? And if, he, if they're not, he'll pass them by. He doesn't get rid of them. He just says, read the text again. Get ready for the next party. Get ready. You say, well, Dave, that's not quite fair. He didn't tell us he was throwing a party. He didn't put it on the calendar. He didn't announce it. Just decided and came down and was looking. Of course I wasn't ready. Nobody told me to get ready. This is your warning right now. Get ready. We serve a God of surprises. God is a God of great surprise. You just read the Bible and he's surprising people all the time. He's the master of surprise parties. Nobody expected Jesus, God the Son, to come when he did, how he did, where he did. He just came. Unannounced. Surprised everybody. And those who weren't ready totally missed it. God in the flesh, walking 2,000 years ago. God is a God of surprises. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to come back again. And, 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 and when I come back, I'll come like I came the first time. It'll be a surprise. You won't know. So be ready now. Be ready every day. Do the work. Figure out what you need to do to be ready. We serve a God of surprises, period. Will you be ready when he comes looking for people to use in his great house, for his great purposes, to establish his kingdom in the world? Will you be ready? Here's the big idea for all of today. Building up is never an accident. It's God's intentional work done surprisingly through unexpected vessels like you, actually, like you and me. Building up is never an accident. This is what God's about. Building up his kingdom, building up his church, building up his people, building up those who are downcast, those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized. God says, I am the God of those people and I'm building them up. It's not an accident the work he's doing, but it's a surprise that he's decided to use you and me. So will you be ready to be used? Will you be ready? Now let me tell you about my friend Ken. 
I grew I, uh, high school. Ken played on the basketball team with him. Ken was one of probably the most athletic guy on the entire team. He was a senior when I was a sophomore, and uh, we were both on varsity. And since I was a sophomore, I didn't play much. Ken didn't play much either, but not because he wasn't talented. He was six six, probably could jump higher than anybody on our team. Very talented young man. And me and Ken kind of hung out at the end of the bench together. The master of the house didn't come down often and say, hey, get in the game. Now, here's the deal. It wasn't because we couldn't be used. Well, maybe I couldn't. I was just a scrawny little sophomore. Ken could have been used. But I don't think Ken was always ready. In fact, one time I looked down the bench at, this, at this particular instance, we were not sitting next to each other. Ken is just hilarious. He's one of my favorite people. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he's listening to this. I love you, Ken. Thanks for giving me this great illustration. Okay, so um, I'm looking down at the end of the bench, and Ken's got his towel on his lap. And then all of a sudden, he lifts up his towel, and I realize he's eating a hot dog. <laughs> he had somehow got somebody to bring him a hot dog at the end of the bench. He's eating a hot dog. During the game, Ken wasn't always ready to get in the game, and sometimes the coach would surprise him and be like, Ken, let's go. He'd run and jump out of the gym, unreal watching him out there, but he wasn't always ready. Sometimes he's eating hot dogs. Now, bless his heart. To be honest, I don't think Ken actually really desired to be on a basketball team. I think that's why he wasn't ready. I don't think he enjoyed basketball that much. He's also a baseball player. I think he enjoyed baseball much more, but he was good at basketball. That's the first principle. If you want to be ready, the key to readiness starts with desire. Do you desire to be used by God? If you don't desire to be used by God and to be in the presence of God, because guess who's sitting at the table when the master of the house throws the party? The master of the house. So do you want to be that, that cup on the table, that plate on the table? And get to be in the presence of the master. And get to hear the master tell his stories. And the master tell his jokes. Do you want to be in the presence of the master? If you don't have a desire to be in the game, to be around the master of the house, then of course you're not going to do the work to get ready. Right? So desire is the first key to readiness. Uh, look, look here with me. 2 Timothy 4.8. So just two chapters over from where we were reading. And this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself. Paul was used by God maybe more than anyone in human history, to build up his church. Paul says this, Henceforth, there is laid up for me, Paul's talking about, he's coming to the end of his life, laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, that day when he returns and sets his kingdom in full, and not only to me, but also to all, insert there, anyone, who has loved his appearing. That reward, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 25% of the New Testament, who started more of the first churches than anyone else, of any other apostle, who God used mightily, says that same reward that I'm looking forward to, that will be the crown of righteousness, which just means that you get to wear the righteousness of Christ and it's the same for all of us, no matter what you do, big or small. And the key here is for all who have loved his appearing. What's that mean? They have, one, either loved 
Now he's talking to people that are chronologically could have seen Jesus in the flesh while he walked the earth um, before or after his resurrection. They loved to be in the presence of Jesus. They loved his appearing. And they loved the idea, thinking about, anticipating, waiting for him to appear again, to come again. He's coming back. Those who love that, who hope for that, who long for that, who, who wait patiently and do the work as they think about him coming again, all of those will be awarded the crown of righteousness and to get to be in the presence of the king, the master of the house. But that's the key. Do you hear it? You have to love his appearing. You have to love his presence. If you don't love his presence, of course, you'll never get ready for when he comes to use you. They loved his appearing. They longed for his appearing. Do you love and long for the appearing of Jesus? If you do, you should get ready because he might just use you right now to build up his kingdom, to prepare the way of the Lord. So the other, I told you I was coming back to another kid's story. Now, these aren't really kids' movies, right? We all secretly watch these. Toy Story. Think about that. Those toys, what did they? They longed for. <laughs> they longed for Andy to appear into the room, to open the closet to pick them and use them and play with them. They weren't in some big existential crisis of why does Andy get to be the one that picks us to play? They're like, this is what we were created for. We're toys. This is amazing. Andy, I'd love to be your potato head or foot or arm. Whatever part of the potato you want to use, just use me, right? Do you do that with the Lord? Do you love his appearing? Do you, do you desire so much that he would just come and choose you to get to do what you were created to do? Be used by him. Do you love it? Do you desire the presence of the master of the house? If so, you will get yourself ready. So what does being ready look like? What does being ready look like? Paul says it right here. How do I actually get ready? I desire to get ready. How do I do it? He says this, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel ready to be used, useful to the master. So what's this mean? Cleansing yourself. Well, it's intentional. It's intentional action that you can do to create probable the verb here, to cleanse, cleanse yourself, is the subjunctive tense of the verb, which means it's an intentional action that creates probable results. So there's things that you can do that will probably make you clean and ready for use. Okay? Now, clean here does not mean perfect. Listen, if you've ever heard that Christians believe you have to live a perfect life, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, not one of us is perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the perfection and holiness of God. Everyone is in need of being cleansed by the cross of Christ. He died because you aren't perfect. You aren't clean. But yet, Paul says, even when you have been cleaned by the cross of Christ, you must do intentional work yourself to keep yourself clean and ready for use. So it's always both and in the Christian faith. Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. He absorbed your guilt, your dirtiness, your unworthiness, your dishonorableness, he absorbed it in himself, died the death that you should have died, and then he rose to new life so that you could live a life seeking cleanliness and righteousness. Both are part of the Christian message. Both. 
are necessary. You must accept the work of Jesus to cleanse you from all sin, and then you must do the work of cleansing yourself. That's the work of theologians' sanctification. There are things that you can do to cleanse yourself, not can't live a perfect life, you never will, even after you accept the forgiveness of Jesus, you will fall short, you will stumble. But do you desire to do the things that will make you ready? So cleansing yourself actually is more about thorough, ongoing repentance. Repentance just means this, I'm walking this direction, this is not the way God wants me to walk, and I decide to turn around. I'm walking this way. I've just repented. So do you, are you engaged in thorough, ongoing repentance? Thorough meaning, are you looking at every part of your life and you're asking, is there any way in which I'm going here that's contrary to the will, commands, desire of God? If so, I'm going to turn from that way. Every part of my life. Ongoing means, you know what? I might have turned from that part of my life one day, but then you know what? It sounded pretty good, so I'm going to turn right back here, and then I'm going to turn again. So, ongoing. You're going to have to do this over and over again. The turning away from anything that is obstructing your relationship with God. Are you doing that? Then you are preparing yourself to be ready to be used by God. Now, just to drive this home, because I don't want you to miss this, there's a great quote by William Arnett. Sorry, are not. 1884, in, in a great little book that he wrote called The Law, it's on the Proverbs, which is in the Old Testament. It's like wisdom literature. And the name of the book, I love this name, so I just wanted to read it. The name of the book he wrote is called Laws for Life on Earth. That's how he describes the Proverbs. The Proverbs. Laws from Heaven for Life on Earth. And this is what he wrote about this idea of how do I know if I'm actually cleansing myself. So I'm going to just read it for you here. Put it up on the screen. The difference between an unconverted and converted man or woman is not that the one has sins and the other has none, but that the one takes part with his cherished sins against a dreaded God. And the other, that is the converted man, the other, takes part with a reconciled God against his hated sins. So I think sins got cut off there. That's okay. You see what I'm saying here? So there's, there's two types of people uh, within the church. Those who say, here's my hated sin. I'm going to go ahead and partner with my hated sin. And over here is God against God. The other kind is not somebody who's perfect or never sins, but who decides, you know what? Here's my hated sin. Here's God. I'm going to partner with God who I've been reconciled to through the work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to partner with God against my, my, my hated sin. I hate my sin. I, I, I don't want to go those ways. I know they don't lead to life. I know they don't build up. I know, I know that's not best for me. But they're so tempting. They draw me in. So I need to partner with God, the God who will give me everything I need to fight against that thing that makes me unclean and not ready for use. I'm going to partner with God. I'm not always going to get it right. It's a strong pull, but I'm going to stand here instead of standing over here against God, keeping him at arm's length, keeping him away, and saying, God, I don't want you to interfere with my life. That's the only difference. Both sin, both fall short, both continue to stumble. So there's ongoing need. Who are you partnering with? God or your sin? Man, this is hard work. Because you've got to identify what things are sinful things. What is God asking? And so the first step always is to just spend lots of time with God. Ask him. Read his word. 
Ask him to reveal to you what would it look like to partner with him against those things in your life that don't lead to connection with him. And you can usually feel it, to be honest. If you are honestly seeking relationship with God, you will start, if that's your desire, you'll start to see those things that get in the way of that. You say, man, it's hard to have a relationship with God when I'm cozying up with these particular things in my life. I think we all know what some of those things are, but there could be other things that takes more work to clean out those parts from our normal rhythms and patterns. So here's the question. Are you making peace, accommodating, making excuses for your sin, those things that keep you away from God, for its presence in your life? Or do you call sin, sin, and take real, decisive action to rid your life of those things that that always seep in? That's how you get ready. Just take, take out the trash. Just so it doesn't defile you being ready for God. And listen, it's hard. Because these things are things, that the reason they're hard to get rid of is not because they're giving you something. They're giving you some type of life. So it's hard to declutter your life from those things. This isn't easy work. This is why Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy, his apprentice, Timothy's a great man, and he's saying to Timothy, you got to keep doing this, Timothy. Listen, if this sounds impossible to you, just know this, you are not stuck in your status quo. Whatever you feel like, whatever that sin pattern that maybe, maybe it's coming to your mind right now, you're like, man, I think that might be what Dave's talking about. I don't think I could ever get rid of that. That's the status quo. Listen, we've all had those things that we thought, I'll never be able to get rid of that. And then we did. Why? Because God not only calls you to clean yourself, he gives you the grace and power you need to do the cleaning, to take out that trash. He gives you what you need. He doesn't just say, do it on your own. He says, Do it, and I'll give you what you need to do it if you partner with me against that sin. So cleanliness leads to readiness. Readiness leads to usefulness. I just love that word, usefulness. Useful. I have this memory in my head of an Australian saying, useful. I don't know where it comes from. Does anybody know? It's some movie quote or something. Useful. Be useful, please, Paul says. This is what you were created for, to be used by God in his great house for glorious ends. Be ready for every good work. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready, he says. And then I want you to see something, because this is what you need to do when you read your Bible. Let your, if you've got a physical Bible, it's always easier to do this. Let your eye fall. Like, here's my Bible, okay? So, ready for every good work. And my eye falls, and I realize just in the next chapter, look what he says. Equipped for every good work. You think those are connected, those ideas? Absolutely. Now, what equips us? You got to be ready for it. Now, what equips us for it? Look at this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Look at this. See how those are connected verbally? Clear as mud? 
It's that simple. You need to be ready, and then you need to equip yourself. How do you equip yourself for the work that God's going to ask you to do, to be useful to him? Look at what it says. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, you need to get yourself ready, and then you need to equip yourself. Because God, the master of this great house, has things that you wouldn't believe ready for you to do. You might look at your life and say, I I don't know how much God uses me to build up. And I would say to you, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not equipping yourself. Maybe you need to get in this word. Maybe there's things in your life you need to remove, clean out, get rid of, and you think, no, that's not what's keeping it. Try it. Get rid of it. And see if the master of the house starts picking you and calling your name and putting you in the game. Think about that. Try spending time in his word, equipping yourself, and being ready by removing those things in your life that might be keeping you from a relationship with God, and see if the master of the house doesn't come down and pick you out of the cupboard more often than he is right now. To use you to build up others, his church, his kingdom, this world, this nation, he might just use you. Building up is never an accident. It is God's intentional plan and work done surprisingly through you and me, unexpecting vessels for his glory and our good. You ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are the God, the great God of this house, of this world, of this universe. This is your house. And you've got great, noble, honorable deeds, works for us to do. Works for building up, not tearing down, God. But to be honest, we're not always ready. When you come looking for someone who you've created and you've saved by your son, Jesus Christ, to do your work in the world, you can't find us all the time. We're not ready all the time. We're not clean to be done and used for such holy deeds. And so you have to pass us by. God, we want to be ready. I I think we do. I know a lot of my friends here, they want to be ready. They want to be used to put your world right again, God. Help us get ready. Give us the grace we need to put aside those things that keep us from honorable use, to equip ourselves through your word. Give us a great desire to be in your presence through the study of your scripture. Give us what we need to be ready and equipped for every good work. And we know, God, it'll bring you glory and it'll be for our good and we'll come alive like we never have been alive before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.